Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hi, you're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast, a podcast about breaking into the world of finance, along with interviews with those who have. I'm Alex Grodnick, and on today's show, the definition of persistence. Andre Bueno did not have the right background to break into Wall Street, but he made it happen. I think his story is inspiring for everyone trying to do the same, but it's not easy. Wait till you hear what he did. Also, the investment banking guide was a difference maker for Andre. After you listen to this episode, go check it out. Wall Street Oasis guarantees your satisfaction. All right, let's go. Andre, welcome. Hey, man. Dude, I'm, I'm super excited. So it's funny because like when, when I was growing up, like Wall Street Oasis was really kind of like the main place that I would spend my time just trying to learn everything and anything that I could about like getting on the street. And it's kind of surreal because I mean, on, on one hand when, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm just like non-target school kid. I'm reading one of the wall street Oasis guides and, you know, I'm really trying to basically go from not being on the street to getting on the street. That entire process is so kind of challenging, especially when, you know, you don't really have the right network and um it's awesome that you know there's a community such as wall street oasis that uh you know it's out there for us yeah absolutely and that's the goal of this is to kind of help share the network share some success stories some tips into breaking in so you did break in love to hear your background how you did it my my first opportunity was um i spent about i think it was seven six or seven months just interviewing. And I probably did, I don't want to say about 50 or 60 interviews. And it's not that I'm like super great or super smart or anything like that. It's just, just being persistent. And I remember I'd walk into these interviews and I'm like, this is great. Like, you know, they're, they're totally going to allow me to just walk in the door because I'm the Brazilian guy. Like they, they need people like me. And then I'd show up and they're like 500 people, like way more qualified that look just like me. And I'm like, oh shoot, I gotta, I gotta really kind of step this up. And um, it was such an interesting experience because when you get rejected like 50, 60 times, like when you finally do get that internship, um, for me it was actually at Citigroup. I mean, there are a lot of unconventional ways that went into, you know, getting, you know, so many different opportunities, so many different interviews, and ultimately landing the job offer. 
Right. So what was your main strategy? Were you looking at people on LinkedIn, figuring out their email addresses, sending them cold emails with something relevant? Here's who I am. I'd love to get an internship. How'd you do it? Um, I want to tell four stories today. Okay. All right. I want to tell you about um, how I got in, in touch with so many people, how I added a thousand people on LinkedIn over the course of a summer. I want to talk about the, I guess, unconventional strategies you can use to break into Wall Street when interviews aren't available. I want to also talk about the, uh, I guess, kind of different factors and, and uh, things that are at stake when you're going into these interviews. And lastly, I um, also want to talk about what happens when, uh, when you get fired. Okay. That sounds good. Let's go story number one. <laughs> um, so, so, um, so this story starts out actually in Los Angeles. I'm going to Loyola Marymount, small little liberal arts school, and I'm trying to get actually access to, you know, people in the Wall Street network. This is something that, you know, besides reading a couple books and watching a couple movies, I didn't really know what was going on out there. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm reading through the forums and I, and I'd go into these interviews and I'm just getting like obliterated. Like I'm walking out sometimes in tears, sometimes like actually crying. Like it was like not great. Um, and it was interesting because I'd, I'd always go back to the forums and I'm sitting there and, and I'm trying to get an idea of what, what have other people done like, how have they been successful? And <clears throat> I'm going through, like, the, the Wall Street Oasis guide, and I'm really trying to fill in the holes. And, and a, a lot of, like, my background is I, st- I just studied business. I'm not a finance guy. I'd go into these interviews, and they're asking, walk me through a DCF. I'm like, I beg your pardon. <laughs> so, I mean, getting the technical knowledge is just, it's just so critical. And... Also, building that network is really important, too. So I started thinking about, all right, like here are the different opportunities I want to pursue. And me being like a real estate guy, I said, you know, I want to work at, you know, the strongest banks that there are on the streets. And I'm going to go for any opportunity because at the end of the day, you know, beggars can't be choosers. But at the end of the day, I figured, you know, let me get my foot in the door. Then I'll figure out how to kind of be able to proceed. And yeah, so I went around and just added a whole bunch of people on LinkedIn. And so you're adding these people on LinkedIn, you're sending little messages on there. Hey, I'm Andre, love to chat. Do you have 10 minutes? That kind of thing. I did anything and everything you can think of. So nowadays you can get an, uh, there's this website, it's called Calendly. You can go and, and, and you can use this to basically like set up these little 20, 30 minute interviews. Like for me back then, like when we didn't have something like that, I was just messaging saying, can I take you out for coffee? Do you have 10 quick, 10 quick minutes to chat? Mm -hmm. Like anything that I could to get in front of people, I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning on the West coast and start calling banks so that before the traders started actually getting busy during their day on the East coast. 
and then proceed through my day, go to college, do whatever. And then in like the evening, start calling like the Hong Kong desk and the Tokyo desk because I just wanted to get a job, man. And being that, I mean, it was competitive in 2010, 11, 12, right? It's even more competitive now. So in order to like really be able to position yourself, like you have to, your networking has to be good. Your technicals have to be good. It's just such a different environment. So how'd you prepare for these interviews? Once you were able to get them on LinkedIn, technical stuff, how'd you get that? Reading through the guides and to be completely honest, it's going through the forums and figuring out like what other people were being asked and just sitting there and not only trying to learn from other people's mistakes, but at the same time, I was failing a lot and failing really fast. And I think that's, that's something that, um, I mean, I, I, tell, I tell kids trying to break into the street all the time, if you want to go and get one of these opportunities, like, you don't have to go after it. Like, you have to chase it down. And if you're, not, if you're from a non-target school or if you have something that, if, if you have anything short of, like, call it a 3.8 GPA from, you know, a top-tier school, then you need to hustle and you need to hustle a lot. I, I felt like I wasted a lot of time just trying to search for the content myself, right? I'm trying to put together like, what is a DCF and what is this and what is that? And, you know, I'm trying to read through different corporate finance books and there's just like no one organized way of actually being able to get all that information. But then I pick up the guide and all of a sudden it's just very clear. It's very organized. Everything's just well laid out. And I'm sitting there just thinking, if I had just, invested in this guide three months, six months ago, it would have saved me a lot of time. And I think starting earlier rather than later, I think that's, um, that's one of the biggest things, especially with, uh, with this guide, like it's gonna, it'll take you some time to be able to, you know, get all this information, especially if you've never seen this material. But once you actually get past that hump and become, you know, familiar with it, it should be second nature to you. And you can get, but there, there are spots. There are these one-off spots. I did it, you did it. And so it can be done. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think it's, it's even more doable nowadays just because you have so many different tools. What I was doing back then was very simple. I'd go on Google and I'd type in like Goldman Sachs analyst and then it would, and then I'd put in LinkedIn and then like it spit out all like the different like people that are analysts at Goldman or were analysts at Goldman. And then I just started adding people and everyone who I'd add, I'm like, Hey, can I take you out for coffee? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I flew across the country to take people out for coffee, just hoping that I'd be able to get, you know, one step closer, one step closer. And it's, if, if you have like having the technicals down and this, this is something that I learned like along the way it's having the technicals down gets you to the doorstep. After that, a lot of it's like, you know, you have to have the personality, you have to have, be sure that you can understand like the, you know, the desk and have a compelling store and be able to have that all nicely wrapped up. And a lot of that happens when you really, really truly understand exactly what you're interviewing for and you understand, you know, I guess more of like a macro environment of what's going on with that bank or that institution. Right. Yeah. You got to have the whole package, the story, 
the technicals, the networking to begin with. It's all part of part of the process. So you end up getting an internship at City, you said? Yep. It was a it was a great summer. I worked in the uh, equity capital markets desk. So we took that summer we took Pandora public. Um, we also were working with uh, Alley Financial, which was um, General Motors had like a financing arm that kind of went bankrupt during the crisis. And it was like a gigantic transaction. Um, yeah, and then we also took, uh, well, started working on Zillow at the time. So it was, a, it was a very busy summer for us. Cool. And so what were your takeaways from the summer? Did you go back there? What'd you, did it change the job you wanted? Where do you go from there? Did not get a return offer. Why? Oh, man. Just bad analyst, man. No, it was the... My background was, like, I got placed on the equity capital markets desk covering Latin America and covering the states. And this is a time when Latin America started getting a little shaky. This is, call it 2011. At the same time, the domestic desk was actually getting shaky, too, because now you have... The government uh, getting ready to shut down at the time. You have healthcare reform coming up on the bill, so the amount of spots that we had going into the summer versus what was actually offered was like getting diminished by the day. So with me not getting a return offer, I ended up basically having to go back to the drawing board and start over. And so you did that, right? Yep. And where do you go from there? Um, actually, I went to uh, I went to your campus. I went to UCLA. I, um, even though I was going to school about 10 miles south, um, I would actually cut out of class and, you know, attend any information session you guys had on campus, anything that the undergrads had, you know, the, your mechanical engineers would always host like, you know, these investment banking nights, um, specifically for like masters of finance and things like that. So I'd go into every single one. I knew nothing about what I was talking about, but it was enough just to get in there and say, hey, like, I'd love to learn more about, you know, Goldman Morgan. They're like, it's Goldman Sachs. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I ended up uh, going to a number of different interviews. And it's funny because I kept, I would go back and I'm interviewing at the same desk that rejected me like the summer before. And I'm sitting there and sometimes there were different people and I'm noticing that, you know, it's, you know, Wall Street's a game of musical chairs, right? And I'm seeing the same person that I was interviewing with, you know, that was at City. Next thing you know, I'm interviewing with their desk at RBC and I'm like, oh, crap, now I'm not going to get a job here either. Um, so I had to think about something that I could do to really differentiate myself. And there was a presentation um, Goldman actually showed up at, uh, at UCLA to do a presentation on uh, equity research. And I, I was doing a midterm, and I remember like asking the professor, I was like, hey, can I leave a little bit early? And what I ended up doing was I cut out of the midterm, got into my car, I drove up to campus. I'm like literally getting dressed on the 405 freeway. <laughs> and um, I ended up parking like really far because I don't know, like UCLA is a lot bigger than... Uh, the parking's the worst. It's insane. Yes. And um, I ended up parking like close to where like the fraternities are at and having like run across campus and I show up, I'm like all sweaty, looking not great at all. 
have like a resume and it's like mildly crumbled up. And I'm like, geez, I need to get my stuff together. And, um, and I show up to the room and just like two summers before that, when I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, um, we actually went to UCLA to actually like interview a lot of the kids there. And I'm getting to see the kind of talent that UCLA is bringing to the table. And we're talking about kids who are going, you know, doing their undergrad at UCLA, then going to like JPL or, you know, some, some crazy like, you know, aerospace defense company. And I'm like, man, these are the people I'm competing with. So I needed to do something to stand out. And I walk into the room and there are about, I'd say maybe 150 kids just all sitting down, everyone wearing suits. It was just exactly what you would think about. Um, and with me kind of showing up late, I'm thinking, all right, the only way to differentiate myself is, you know, if I do something that really kind of makes me stand out. And I'm thinking, oh, I should ask a question. I should, I should ask a question. I think that would be uh, very, very appropriate. And I'm like, geez, this guy's talking a lot. So I was like, you know, maybe, maybe if I just interrupt and I just, you know, maybe no, that's probably not a good idea. So I just raised my hand. And now I'm standing in the back of the room, the guy's in the front of the room, and he's giving his presentation, and he's talking about his equity research group. And I turn to him, and I'm like, hey, like I'm really, uh, I'm really interested in equity research. This is something I'm really passionate about. And the guy, he, um, he was actually running a, uh, a group uh, that was doing equity research at Goldman in Salt Lake City. And he's like, if you're passionate about it, then tell me about a stock that you're very much interested in. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. Yeah. In typical Wall Street fashion, right? And I'm like, oh, crap. But luckily, I had failed an equity research interview the day before. So I had like a lot of information very fresh on my head. And one strategy I, had, I remember taking away was I always try to figure out who was presenting and what industry they were really, really a specialist of. And then I would talk about everything but that. Right. <laughs> um, so he used to cover um, international paper. So I said, great, I'm going to talk to you about Chinese tech. <laughs> I end up pitching him. He ends up liking the story, he comes down and says, look, we should have you talk to one of our recruiting specialists. We'll probably reach out, um, depending on your resume, uh, about bringing you in for an initial screen. And even then, I'm thinking, geez, I just put on a show in front of everybody, and you know, I, just, I just got to the screening point. And that's how competitive it is these days, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, ended up going through the interview process, got a job at Goldman, and started there after college. That's awesome. That's a great story. Thank you. So you worked at Goldman. Now you, had, now you have that on your resume, something everybody wants. Is it as good as it, uh, as it seems? Yeah, until I got fired. It was great. And, and why'd you get fired? Being a, being a bad analyst. Like, just didn't, didn't know the numbers, didn't have the technicals, wasn't particularly interested in the, um, in the space I was in. I got placed on a LATAM consumer retail desk, and I wanted to do real estate. Mm -hmm. And I've always been the real estate guy. So getting pushed into, into an area. And I, and I think it was, it was an amazing experience because, I mean, look, we're working at a place like Goldman, it's, it's one of the harshest and most like unforgiving work environments I think there is out there. 
like the hours are extremely long. You, you're not allowed to complain about anything. It's, it's, you're, you, you get built like a machine, which is great because your work ethic just becomes next level. But at the same time, there's also the culture component. And I think a lot of times when you're trying to get any position, you start thinking about it as, you know, I, I need to get this job. Like I need to be working at this bank or at this institution, this private equity fund or hedge fund or whatever. But then you realize, oh, well, you never look into the culture aspect. You never look at, you know, who's actually working there. And the thing about, you know, Wall Street is that it's all, um, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think a lot of us get so focused on, you know, if I don't get that job at Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley fresh out of college, then it's over. When a lot of times it's sometimes the best thing that could happen is that you don't end up at one of those banks. And you end up going to a smaller shop and you get a lot of, you know, great opportunities and you become that very technical and super savvy individual. So uh, it was, um, it was a great learning experience. I ended up moving on from, from that role working. uh, I jumped over to a real estate private equity fund and we were doing like developments in Latin America and, on one hand, it was great because I'm actually getting to do the real estate stuff I wanted to do. On the other hand, I'm still stuck in the LATAM role and I'm trying to figure out, okay, you know, how do, how do I move on from this one? And if you really look at kind of like my career trajectory, like none of it makes sense. And it was just purely sales. It was just going from equity capital markets, so investment banking on the private side to going to the public side you know, doing equity research and back to the private side and private equity. And as I'm going through this, I'm realizing like just how important it is to have a community around you that will actually help you kind of get to that next level. Right. And this is where your network of thousands of people on LinkedIn, you can start to see who do I know that does real estate private equity and start reaching out for round two coffees. I drank so much coffee that I converted to decaf at one point. <laughs> Funny. So you said it that, you know, your career is a marathon, not a sprint. You got this job at Goldman Sachs. A lot of people would say, Oh my God, this is, this is it. It's so great for you. You said, Oh, I'm not doing the real estate stuff. I'm not going to do a good job and get fired. If you had to do that again, would you have a different mentality going into that and say, okay, I'm not on the exact desk that I want to be at, but I'm at a great shop. I'll grind this out for a while and see if I can impress everybody enough that they'll let me transfer. Would you take that kind of uh, outlook on it or would, do you think you'd do the same thing that you did? I would do the same thing that I did. I probably would have left earlier. Um, and, and the only reason for that is like people should be... I think people, when, when, when people perform at really high levels, it's because they're doing something that they're really happy and passionate about, right? And you have to buy into that thing that you're doing. So for me, it's when, when I was at Goldman and I was placed on a desk that I wasn't really that excited about, if I didn't have any other options, absolutely. Like I did some very interesting stuff. I covered very interesting companies. Actually, ironically enough, I covered all the con- uh, all the companies that were like major, like international supermarket and internet retailers. 
in Latin America ex Brazil. So all I did was like my, I had a team in Sao Paulo. I covered everything in Chile, Argentina, Peru, Colombia, Mexico. It was an amazing experience, but I think you really should think about really kind of like that long-term, um, you know, where do you want to be at? And sometimes you have to think about like the, you know, what are the short-term goals that you need to achieve to get to that long-term um, kind of solution? For me, when I went into Goldman, my, I remember telling, telling uh, actually one of my parents, um, I, told, uh, I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm going to work here for like the next decade, then I'm going to retire. It's going to be great. And then five months into it, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Um, and, and I think, I think it's like disappointing for a lot of people that kind of realize that, like you, you go through that summer internship and you spend those three months on the desk and you're like, this is great. I could totally do this. It's like the summer times four, but then after kind of like that month, five month six, and you start realizing like, okay, I need to start thinking about this strategically of like, how am I going to make it through the next three years? then at that point you really have to start analyzing like where you're coming from and you know exactly kind of what uh what career i guess you want for yourself right how did you analyze that situation you thought i need to do real estate it doesn't matter that i'm at gs i i got to go do real estate it it was it was one of those things where i remember spending a lot of time actually at gs reading all the real, like the real estate research reports. And I'm actually going and actually spending time on Wall Street Oasis and reading the real estate sections. And I'm there literally at my desk looking and, and seeing, you know, who else is interviewing a different like real estate private equity funds and how are they doing it? And now I'm actually going back to the, through the same process, now adding a whole bunch of people on LinkedIn. Now I can't take people out for coffee, but I can, if I could hop on the phone with them for 10 quick minutes at any point in time that's convenient for them, then I'm totally going to take that up. So I, like, I just had to become scrappy and just trying to reinvent myself. And over time, I mean, I realized that I guess that was like one of the, the biggest takeaways that I really had. And I know we talked about like the number of different stories. I want to tell you four stories, right? I told you the first one about how I added everyone on LinkedIn. The second one was, um, was talking about how, you know, it's kind of hopping around from, you know, one position to another and, you know, continuously like adjusting. And I think the, the, the third one was, you know, when, when you've had such a, I guess like a, a fragmented like work history, like I've had, where I do an internship one place, then I work at Goldman for a little bit of time, and I'm really trying to find my way, it really caused me to have to like be really like innovative and thinking like outside of the box when, um, when I'm looking for different opportunities. And I ended up actually going from the real estate private equity fund and hopping over to Morgan Stanley to do sell derivatives. And that was a interesting experience because that's something I've always wanted to do because in my head, there were two things that I knew for sure I wanted to do real estate, but everyone said, you're going to be great at sales. You should go do sales. So I said, before, before I try, you know, 
pursuing this, this real estate path, whether it's working for someone else or starting my own thing, I need to go do the sales thing. And I was really worried because I feel like the, the, the equity sales like position is actually, you know, it's, it's a dying industry. A lot of things are being automated. Um, you know, electronic trading is becoming more and more like prevalent. So I ended up, um, actually going to pursue an opportunity where I had zero connections on the street on the sales side. And I said, all right, I got to start from scratch again. So that's what I did. It sounds like you just love a challenge. <laughs> I think, I think, um, I had a, a friend turn to me actually, uh, about a year, year and a half ago. And he's like, you know, when you were the happiest, he's like, when you were unemployed, he's like, it's not because you were hanging out all the time. It's because you loved interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you must be good at it by this point. Well, it's the same, it, it's the same skill set that you use for, I guess, almost anything else in life. It's, it's the same skill set you use for dating. It's the same skill set you use for, um, you know, developing a new relationship. It's really just building rapport. I'll let you have the last word if you want to leave listeners with any more. I mean, you had tons of advice here, but any last thoughts, things that you want people to take away from this? Yeah. Um, I, I think as a, as, as someone who's kind of gone through the non-target school kind of route and me kind of looking back, like when, when I was in college, I, I, th I feel like I'm, I spent a lot of time making excuses for why I couldn't do things versus actually going out and accomplishing them. So I'd spend more time sitting there and thinking to myself, you know, well, if I had went to this Ivy League school or if I had, you know, rich parents, then X, Y, and Z thing would happen. But the reality is it's, it's all hard work. It's just hustle. And like, that's, and that's the thing that I feel like really differentiated me from really like my peers. It's, you look at a lot of people, they're going to go and they'll do three or four or five different interviews. And if they get rejected, then, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, they're, they're going to go and try to do something else. But then you also see those kids who have what Angela Duck work with, uh, with call uh, grit, you know, they're just like, I'm going to get this job. It might take me two months. It might take me two years. And I have seen more and more success stories of people who, um, I had, I had a, I had a friend who reached out to me while I was at Goldman and she turns to me and says, Hey, I'm really interested in working in investment banking. This is what I'd like to do. I'm working at this fashion company. I'm thinking, Jeez, I don't even know if Wall Street Oasis can help this girl. Like this is this is intense, and and she hustled. And next thing you know, about a year and some change later, she's like, "You should come by my office. I work at this real estate private equity fund." And I'm like, "Holy crap!" Like she just completely skipped the banking route and just went went straight for the good stuff. And um, yeah, so I think. I've seen more stories of the impossible happening than I think that there's really anything's possible. It's just, it's just a matter of how hard do you want to work towards it? Yeah, I love that. Oh, did we get your fourth story? So 
the interesting part was when I was working at that real estate private equity fund and I realized I really wanted to be in sales and I wanted to get a position. I mean, to be able to go through and explain going from a capital markets group to equity research now to private equity, that took a lot, a lot of sales and maneuvering. And it really took a lot of time for me to really spend methodically analyzing like everything in my background. I needed my story to be coherent. I needed everything to make sense. I needed to pass the sniff test because when I'm sitting there and they're looking at my background and they're seeing, you know, that fragmented work history, they're wondering what is going on with this guy. And at the time, like there weren't a lot of jobs available and especially being like a sales analyst, I mean, we're talking one, maybe two positions are opening up, you know, per bank, call it every summer. A lot of it's going to like the interns or people that are internal. So we're talking to break into one of those positions. I'm competing with everyone who's in the job market right now, call it all the new grads. They're all the people that got laid off from all the different banks. And then there's this other third category is all these other people that are working inside of the banks that want to move from like a back office role to front office. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out how do I get in touch with these people? And I needed to create some sort of, I guess, competition between the different banks because there are not that many positions going out. And the last thing they want to do is think about, think about the world of finance. Finance is all about controlling risk and when you're looking at a candidate you have a candidate in new york and you have a candidate in california who are you going to hire you're going to hire the person in new york because you don't have the cross-country risk you don't have the risk of this person deciding "Ah, i don't want to move so for me to get it like over all these humps it meant i had to really sit down and, and think through my story and say you know i'm i'm already committed to moving here like this is what i'm gonna do and being able to convince the the bank really at the other end of the table that this is something that was going to happen. So what I ended up doing was I called all my friends who I had uh, interned with back at City and different friends who worked in the street, and I called them and said, hey, like, can I crash in, at your house? And mind you, these are all analysts, so they're all they all have roommates and stuff. So I'm like literally crashing on you know my friends' floors. Some of them don't even have mattresses. And this is in October. So this is like my first like New York City winter too. And I was like, holy crap, this place is really cold. And um, I, end up calling, I end up calling all these different banks. And the first one that I'm able to get in touch with was actually Credit Suisse had a, had a foreign exchange kind of sales desk. And I called the guy, I ended up talking to this managing director and I convinced him that, hey, I really want to, go and sit down and grab coffee with him because, you know, I'm really interested and passionate about FX sales. And, you know, I give him my spiel and the guy says, well, um, you know, maybe when are you in town? And I said, hey, I'm moving next week. Would love to see you. The reality is I I, I booked a plane ticket and I was going to spend 10 days in New York. And I said, I'm going to use every single one of these 10 days to the fullest. As soon as I got off the phone with him, I go and I call HSBC and I'm like, hey, I just got this interview with Credit Suisse. It's going to be great. Would love to sit down with you guys. I'm really excited about HSBC. You guys are actually my number one choice. And then 
they said, no, sure, maybe. Why don't you, why don't you, we're going to schedule, how about a preliminary phone call? And I'm like, sure, sounds good. And then I call up my friends at Barclays and I say, look, you know, I got an interview at Credit Suisse, HSBC is hounding me about, you know, hopping on the phone with them. But I'd love to really work at Barclays. I mean, you know, it's, you know, legacy Lehman Brothers. I think it's a great bank, you know, the international component. I think there's just a lot of great things. So then Barclays says, okay, sure. Why don't we have you go down to the LA office? We'll have you do a video screen and then we'll, uh, we'll see if it makes sense. And I'm like, that's perfect. And then there was uh, Morgan Stanley. I had actually done 17 interviews with this desk this derivatives desk back in 2011 when I didn't get my offer from Citigroup. And I interviewed with a whole bunch of people on the desk, went all the way up to the managing director. Don't, I did not end up getting that job offer. So now I'm going back to the same desk with the same people working or mostly the same people working there. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, now I know derivatives. You should hire me now. And a lot of the people were, you know, skeptical and they're like why should we talk to this guy again and i end up telling them like hey you know i got an interview at credit suisse i got some stuff going on with hsbc you know i got i got to meet with barclays next week in la so look at the end of the day i'd love to work at morgan stanley that's just the reality you know i worked at goldman sachs already going to morgan stanley would be great and all i'm trying to do is just create that that competition between the banks um so what actually ends up happening is actually the the, I, I thought was the most interesting thing. Um, so I end up flying out. Credit Suisse, actually, um, they end up hiring someone from like, from Goldman or something who was in the city. So I, I never even get, get that opportunity. And HSBC actually never ends up calling me. Um, I ended up doing the interviews with Barclays and I interviewed with them in LA before I left. And then I flew out there and I do this long super day with them. It's like a two day long process that never went anywhere. Um, it wasn't rejected. wasn't not, not rejected either. It was just no one ever called me. And then all of a sudden Morgan Stanley is like, yeah, no, absolutely. Like if you want to join, like we need you to join now. Can you move next week? And I'm like, uh, give me a month. But I never would have gotten that opportunity if I hadn't set up all those different kind of cards along the way. And I think, I think a lot of times like when, when you're sitting there and you're trying to look for an opportunity and you're like, all right, I want to go after the bulge bracket banks. I, I always tell kids, I'm like, go after the bulge bracket banks, go after the boutique banks, go after every middle market bank out there and go after anything else in between too. Like, you know, look at different verticals, look at different opportunities. At the end of the day, it's like you have to choose from what's available to you. So go out and see how much can you kind of gather and then you figure out what's the best alternative from all those positions. Because if you want to do TMT banking at Goldman, but the only offer you got is public finance at, you know, X, Y, and Z bank, then, then that option might not be available. But if you really exhausted it, maybe it's not TMT at Goldman, but it's TMT at, you know, some boutique bank, that's just as good. And I think having industry experience is more important than, you know, just having the brand name. Enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks again. Yep. Thank you.
and you've been listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. We have much more coming. Please stay with us.